invite your attention to Philippians chapter 2. The epistle of Paul the Apostle to the church in Philippi, second chapter. My text is in verses 9 through 11. But I'm going to begin reading from the first verse, Philippians chapter 2. My subject this morning is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 1. If there be, therefore, four things. First, any consolation in Christ. Second, any comfort of love. Third, any fellowship of the Spirit. Fourth, any battles and mercies. If there be those four things, then fulfill ye my joy. That ye be four things, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. What a blessed situation there is when those eight things are found. The four things that are found in believers and the four things they will do. Paul continues in verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now there's a reason why He's given this exhortation, and he's about to give us our exemplar. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The exaltation of Jesus Christ set forth set forth to us here in this passage better than in any other, the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We will here consider these four aspects of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. First, its reason. Second, its author. Third, its degree. And fourth, 
its purpose. So consider that first point. The reason for the exaltation of Christ Jesus. By the way, that is the name that is given to him earlier in this passage. Jesus is his name. It denotes that he is the Savior of sinners. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word Christ is a title. It identifies him as the Messiah and as the Son of God, having the same nature as his Father, co-eternal and co-equal with him. Christ Jesus, his title and his name, and he was exalted. Why? Well, in our text, we read that it was wherefore or therefore. Therefore! God has also highly exalted him. Therefore, what? Well, the reason for the exaltation of Jesus Christ is in the verses preceding. We know that because Paul has explained them. He says, therefore, because of what I just told you, God has highly exalted him, Christ Jesus. We look back in the preceding verses, verses 6 through 8, and we find that in simplest terms, the reason why God exalted Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ humbled himself. And the further he humbled himself, the higher God exalted him. Therefore, now, here in verses 6 through 11, in the preceding verses, we have what are commonly identified as the two states of Christ Jesus in his incarnation and as a son of man. In those verses, first, his humiliation, verses 6 through 8, and his exaltation in verses 9 through 11. Those are the two states of Jesus Christ with regard to his incarnation, his time here on earth as the Son of Man. Now, I want you to notice that the humiliation of Jesus Christ in which he humbled himself, it was like walking down into a basement, going down this step, and then he went down another step. And then he went down another step. He went all the way to the bottom of the basement in his humiliation, in humbling himself. Consider the way that he did so. Consider his downward steps. We read in verses 6 through 7 that he, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Now consider that Jesus Christ is here considered before he humbled himself in his heavenly glory, which is his essential glory. Who, being in the form of God. That's his deity, folks. He is deity with divinity, who, being in the form of God, he is co-eternal and co-equal with God his Father, who, 
being in the form of God. He could so much as say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Who? Being in the form of God. But he did not consider his glory in heaven something that must not be taken or given up by him. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was not robbing God of any of God's glory. It belonged to him. But there's something more in this verse. It means that he did not consider his glory something that had to be grasped and not let go. It may be as though the father says, son... Your people need to be redeemed, and the only way they can be redeemed is for you to go to them. Okay, I'll go. Well, if you do, you've got to lay aside your heavenly glory. Oh, no. No, no, no. That's not Jesus. Let this mind be in you. He laid it aside. He said, this is my glory. It is not robbery for me to be equal with you, but I'm not going to hold on to it. If that means that sinners cannot be redeemed. I'll lay it aside. And there in heaven he took his glory. The heavenly glory that was his. Took it off and laid it down and said. I'm going to earth. I'm going to earth. How did he. Or what did he do then? He voluntarily emptied himself of his existence in that manner. He did so in order to redeem sinners. Had it not been that sinners needed to be redeemed, there would have been no need for him to lay it aside. But the only way that sinners can be redeemed is for God to lay aside His glory and take on their humanity and become one of them. I'll do it. He says. I'll do it. He emptied himself of his glory. Now. That does not mean. That he ceased to be divine. I do not want you to think that he laid aside his divinity. <clears throat> he could not do that. For you see. Deity is eternally immutable. It can never be attained. It can never be greatened. It can never be lessened. It can never be surrendered. Deity is eternal. Deity is changeless, immutable. And even when he was here on this earth, his deity is still there. But he has laid aside his exercise of it. He has laid aside the glory of his deity in order to redeem sinners. What did he do? God made himself of no reputation. He who is God made himself of no reputation. Four things to be considered here. First, Christ surrendered his position with regard to God's law. 
in order to be subject to it and fulfill it and thereby sanctify God's elect. Jesus Christ is God and therefore the law giver. But now, the lawgiver has humbled himself to become the law keeper. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born under the law. He gave that law. And then he says, I'll be born under it. And the father may say, well, son, nobody ever kept that law. I will. I will. I will keep that law. Your law is in my heart. I delight to do your will, oh, my God. And the lawgiver became the law keeper. Christ surrendered his heavenly riches in order to experience earthly poverty and thereby make his people rich. He lived in heaven's glory. <clears throat> On earth, he said, birds have nests and foxes have holes and I have nowhere to lay my head. He walked around living in poverty, voluntarily, voluntarily. When he died, he was wearing his entire wardrobe. An inner garment, an outer garment, a belt, sandals, and a turban. It's all the clothes he had, folks. In heaven, he had every delight you could imagine. And here on earth, he had no earthly comforts. He never owned an inch of land. He never owned a house. He never rode an animal of which we have record, except when it was time for him to go into Jerusalem the last time. He lived in poverty so that we could be rich. That's what he did when he humbled himself. He surrendered his heavenly glory in order to possess no beauty that we should desire him. He's just an ordinary man, folks. Walking on this earth, look just like all the rest of us. No beauty that we should desire him. He surrendered his independent exercise of authority in order to do his father's will. His independent exercise of authority. What do you mean? On the six days of creation when God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus did that. For all things were made through him. Nothing was made that was not made by him. He says, let there be light. And he did not ask anybody's permission to do so. Let the waters tame with fish. And they did so. And he asked nobody's permission. Nobody's permission. But here on earth, I did not come to do my will. 
but the will of my Father in heaven. Not my will, O Father, but let your will be done. I can do nothing, he says, apart from my Father. I must have my Father's permission to do this and to do that. I speak only as he says to speak. He had no independent exercise of authority here on this earth. He gave it up when he humbled himself. Then at the end he says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Glorify me together with yourself. Meaning that before I humbled myself, I had your glory. And now glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, this is the humiliation of Jesus Christ, a self-humiliation. Number two, taking the form of a servant. Taking the form of a servant, the divine master of all became the servant of God and even the servant of men. I did not come to be served, he said. I came to serve, and that's what he did. He was not a servant in heaven, but he was a servant here on this earth. And coming in the likeness of men, the immortal God assumed humanity. God became a man. You never read of any such thing anywhere else except with regard to Jesus Christ. He came in appearance as a man. In likeness as a man. He humbled himself even further. He became a lowly mortal. And he became the only man who ever lived who humbled himself in such a manner as this. He became obedient. <laughs> he became obedient. He had to become obedient because... There was no need for him to be obedient before. In heaven, he's the ruler. On earth, he must learn obedience by the things he suffered. He was obedient to his parents, subject to them, obeyed them in everything they asked of him. He was the perfect child, never disobeyed his parents was as obedient to them when they were not looking as he, as he was when they were gazing upon him. He was obedient to man, or to God. And he was obedient to man's law, never broke it, never broke it, lived in complete conformity to both God's law and to man's. became obedient to the point of death. His obedience knew no bounds. He has now come to the very last step. He'll die. But it will not be just any death. He takes the final step downward. He has now reached as far as he can go down. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. 
the cross. What is the death by the cross? People say, well, that, oh, that was a very painful way to die. Well, yes, it was. Yes, it was a very painful way to die. But worse than that, God said, Accursed is any man who is hanged on a tree. So where did Jesus go to die? To a tree. To a tree. And there became a curse for us on an accursed tree. Folks, he has humbled himself as far as he can. He cannot go any further. From the throne of heaven... He has humbled himself to an accursed tree on earth. Therefore, (laughs) that's why the word therefore is therefore. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He has humbled himself as far as he can. Therefore, God has highly exalted them. Consider the author of his exaltation. God did it. Why? Because no one else could and no one else would. The elements of nature, consider them for a moment. They obey him. He's out with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And... A terrible storm arises. The scripture says that the waves were now washing into the boat. Jesus is asleep. (laughs) Now he knows what's going on, but he's asleep. His disciples. Now consider them for a moment. These men are seasoned fishermen. If anybody can handle a boat in a storm, these men can. They know how to row. They know how to bail water. They know how to set the sail. They know how to take it down. These are expert seamen on the Sea of Galilee. But then they cry, Lord, Save us. We are perishing. (laughs) So Jesus wakes up from his sleep in the bottom of the boat and he stands. Now, folks, listen. When your boat is going to and fro, and I've been in this situation a few times taking ferries across to the islands, island to island, The last place you want to be is on the deck standing. It is the worst place to be. Jesus stands. Looks around and he's. Wind, quit blowing. Waves, stop billowing. He rebukes them. And everything got deathly quiet. And the disciples looked at him and they said, Who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do. The winds and the waves obey him. They'll do whatever he says. But they are incapable of exalting him. They are inanimate. 
They cannot exalt him. Well, let's see. What else? Angels. Would they exalt him? But no, they cannot. Angels worship him, but they cannot exalt him because they are inferior to him. He's the archangel. He's the greatest of them all. He is the angel of Jehovah. And Hebrews 7, 7 says, Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. The better, the greater can bless the lesser, but the lesser cannot bless the greater, and angels are lesser than Jesus Christ. They cannot exalt Him. They worship Him, but they cannot exalt Him. How about Satan? Well, no, there's going to be no exaltation from Satan. Satan is the arch adversary of Jesus Christ. The arch adversary. There has been enmity between Christ and Satan from the dawn of creation. Well, let's say Satan has enmity toward Christ and Christ finally showed his toward Satan. But envy, Satan is wanting to be just like Jesus Christ. Satan is not going to exalt him. No. Satan is the ruler of this world, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, and he does not like any competition. So he will not exalt Jesus Christ. Demons. They have no desire to exalt him. They have no power to exalt him because they are subject to him. Matthew 8, 29 through 31. Jesus comes upon the scene and the demons have possessed a man. Jesus shows up and the demons see him coming and they say, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? It's interesting. They know who he is. They know who he is. Have you come to torment us before the time? It's not judgment day yet, is it? No, it's not. And then the scripture says, so the, the demons begged him. Begged him. Consider, Jesus walks on the scene and demons get down on their knees and beg him. Now, they're not going to exalt him. They cannot. They will not. Men in their natural state. No, they will not exalt him. They despise him. He is despised and rejected by men. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So men in their natural state will not exalt him. And he will not exalt himself. We just saw, what does he do? He humbled himself. Well, okay. The elements of nature cannot exalt him. The angels cannot exalt him. Satan will not. Demons will not. Men will not. What have we got left? God. <laughs> no one else would exalt him, so God did. Christ refused to exalt himself, therefore God has highly exalted him. Point number three. The degree of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. God has highly exalted him. Highly exalted him. How high? In Hebrews 7.26 we read that he has become higher than the heavens. In Ephesians 4.10 he is far above all the heavens. 
Where is God's throne? In the third heaven. That's the highest heaven. And at the apex of the highest heaven, there you're going to find Jesus Christ. That's where God has exalted Him. God has exalted Him in three steps. We left Him on a tree when we looked at His in His humiliation. From there, they put Him into a tomb. And God sends an angel down to visit the tomb. And then God raised Jesus from the dead. Opened the tomb. Three steps in his exaltation. Resurrection from the dead. He walks upon this earth for 40 days. Showing himself to men and teaching them. And on the 40th day God said son come home. And Jesus is received by angels. Ascended. And men watched him going up into heaven. That's the second step. Third step. He reaches glory. He reaches heaven. And when he reaches heaven, God the Father says, Come up here, son. Sit down on my throne. Here on my right hand, I'm exalting you to my very throne. From the tomb, through the heavens, and on to God's very throne, he, God has highly exalted him. In so doing, God has done two things here. First, God has given to Jesus Christ a supreme name. Verse 9, God also has given him the name which is above every name. It is the name that excels the name of every creature, of everything else in this universe. There is one name that is greater than all other names. And what is that name? It is God's name par excellence. It is the name that distinguishes God from all others. One of his names is El. Well, he didn't call their gods by that name. But there is one name that belongs to him and to him alone. And it is the name Jehovah. I am who I am. <laughs> what does that mean? I am whatever I need to be. I am whatever I choose to be. I am Jehovah, the self-existent one. God has given that name to Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God, meaning that He and His Father both have the divine nature. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Peter says... Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is Jehovah. God has given him that name. He is called the Lord of Lords in Revelation 17, 14. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, this expression is quite interesting. Lord of lords. There can only be one Lord of Lords, right? I mean, there are many lords, but there is one Lord who is Lord over all the other lords. The Lord of the Lords. 
we read of him in Deuteronomy 10, 17, that Jehovah your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. That's who he is. Mighty and awesome. That's the name that God the Father has given him. Then he's given him to the supreme position. Notice, he has the supreme name and he has the supreme position. Ephesians 1 verses 20 through 22 tell us that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and all power and all might and all dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. So, when you look upon the throne of God, whom do you see? You see Christ Jesus, who has been highly exalted. His name is Jehovah, and he occupies Jehovah's throne. We may say that in his exaltation, he is higher than, perhaps, he was when he left. He had left heaven's glory. But now, everything's under him. Everything. Every nation, every person, every power. His name is Jehovah on Jehovah's throne. And he has the highest position. Fourth point. The purpose of the exaltation of Jesus Christ, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I want you to look at that for just a moment. At the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. At his name, at his name, every creature is down confessing. Every creature. Are you absolutely certain? Well, yes, um, those in heaven. The angels will do it. Oh, they gladly will. They gladly will. Those on earth, that's all mortals walking around. And those under the earth, who would that be? All those who come from the gates of hell. Satan and his demons. Demons not only will beg of him in that day, but they will be down on their knees confessing, Jesus Christ is Jehovah. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Satan is not the Lord. Jesus is. Every knee shall bow. 
Here's the fulfillment of the prophecy made by Jehovah in Isaiah 45, 23, when he said, I have sworn by myself. Now, you know, he's the only one who can swear by himself and it means anything. And if he has sworn by himself, he has sworn by the highest. There's nothing higher than him. I have sworn by myself. You have my word on this. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Uh, Jehovah, did you say that every knee will bow to you and every tongue shall confess to you? That's what I said. But then, did you also say that every knee shall bow to Jesus and every tongue shall confess to Jesus? Yeah, that's what I said. Well, which is it? It's both. <laughs> In bowing the knee to Jesus, you bow the knee to Jehovah. In confessing Jesus is Jehovah, you have confessed Jehovah himself. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And the oath is this, Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Paul the Apostle refers to the same prophecy in declaring that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, says Jehovah. Wait a minute, Paul. You said the judgment seat of Christ, right? Yeah. Well, now you're going to talk about Jehovah's seat? Yes. Which is it? Jehovah's seat is Christ's seat, and Christ's seat is Jehovah's seat. As I live, says Jehovah, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me, to God. And so each one of us shall give an account of himself to God at the final judgment. We all will give an account to God the judge. Who's on that throne? The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. When you stand before the great white throne and you're there before God the judge, he is going to judge you in the person of Jesus Christ. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And everyone will confess, yes, God has highly exalted him. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Everyone will. We believers do so in this present life. I've done it this morning, have I not? Have I, have I confessed Jesus Christ as Jehovah? And I can tell from the looks on your faces, you're agreeing with what I say. We agree on this, do we not? Jesus Christ is Jehovah. Well, there are many people around here who will deny that. There are people claiming to be witnesses for Jehovah who deny that Jesus is Jehovah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the fright on their faces at the final day? when they are required 
to bend their knee, bow on their faces before Jesus Christ and confess He is Jehovah. We denied Him. We denied whom and what He is. But we confess now He is Jehovah. It'll be too late then. Too late then. Do you desire the salvation of your soul? Confess Him now. He humbled Himself for the salvation of sinners. God exalted Him so that He could save sinners. And now those sinners are saved to bow their knee in this present life. Bow to Him as their Lord and Master. And confess He is Jehovah. I tell you, you deny the deity of Jesus Christ. I have no one has hope for your soul except maybe yourself. You cannot deny the deity of Jesus Christ and expect God to save you. Won't happen. Will not happen. God says, I have exalted Him. You need to trust Him. You know, God our Father, we trust Your Son. We, even now, bow our knees to Him. We confess that You have highly exalted Him. And we confess Jesus Christ is Jehovah. To Your glory in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.